what I think is critical to the, the balance that I think is critical to the customer now is transparency, right? I'm going to let you know what we've got. You have choice and you have transparency. We know where, what the food is. We know what's in it. We know where it came from, right? It's all under the vegetable arena. And now I am an educated consumer and I'm going to think about what are the different qualities that I want to choose for and what diet am I selecting for? How, you know, what, what foods do I want to eat and what, what foods do I want to avoid? Welcome to the HGW Podcast. We're your hosts, Zoe Sakutis and Erica Huss, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind-the-scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness. Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise and bring you information you can actually use. No shaming, no guilt, just the cold-pressed truth about real ways you can feel better, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And bonus, we even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey. Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend. Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hey, Erica. Hey, Zoe. Um, how are you? What's going on? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm just uh, just eating some. I was well. I was eating some Siete chips, uh, the ranch flavor, and it was delicious. Those are delicious. I've never had them before. This is not an ad, by the way, but they are. They're working some magic in the flavor department there because, like, the chili lime ones are good. Like, there's there. I'm not mad at any of their flavors, to be honest. Uh, grain free. It's amazing. They need to start paying us for giving us so much love because our millions of listeners are no doubt running to the store right now to pick up their CSA to sit and munch and listen to our podcast, which is flawless always. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, what's your favorite thing to eat your CSA chips with? My hands. <laughs> I was setting you up. I was teeing you up and you missed it. Oh, um, salad? Salad. <laughs> that was the worst segue ever. I was going to say about running to the door and how um, sometimes that is literally an obstacle for many people who live in what we call food deserts. We talk about food deserts and other great things having to do with salad um, with Nick Marsh, who is the CEO of Chopped. Yes. Which has been around for ever. They've like been around for a long time. I mean, I feel like they really do need to get their propers for paving the way for the what is now like the chopped salad bar movement, which obviously yeah. other, you know, Me Too brands have popped up all over and some are doing similar things. Some are kind of taking a little departure, but these guys are really doing it first and foremost and in, in incredibly well. And it's, it was nice to hear their story and nice to know kind of how they're thinking about their rollout. And to your point, really trying to serve some markets that are not necessarily getting the right access to understanding what, what goes on their plates. Yeah, there are a lot of underserved areas. So uh, he's great also just because he's, he's sort of like if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in the food space, if you're in the sort of, you know, anything having to do with CPG or restaurant service, he's just like a he's a great person to talk to about business in general. So this is a good one for like the entrepreneur in all of us. If you're a business owner, specifically in the service industry, which is challenging. Restaurant industry, challenging. Yeah. Definitely. And do not envy those people. They are very brave. <laughs> but um lots of learnings in this one. So let's have a listen. Yeah, it's a good one. What do you put in your salad? So I am a I am a create your own at this point after twelve after twelve years. I will for sure when uh, when we roll out our new seasonals, I will eat one. Eat, I will eat each one just to see sort of what's going on. But my my core move comes out of sort of the Mexican arena, and I will do uh, a mix of romaine and spinach. I will do black beans, corn, cucumbers, which I don't know if they technically belong in there, but I like them. <laughs> but you're American, All so right? And you can bend uh, the and then uh, also, uh, uh, then, also, then I'll do some cotilla cheese, 
and then either our grilled chicken or uh, if we do if we if we happen to be doing some sort of uh, spiced chicken, we'd sometimes do chicken rubs and whatnot. Uh, and then for sure, Mexican Caesar dressing. Is there a pepper or a tomato or oh, some Mama sort Will's of acid? Peppers. Oh, okay, I was going to say You're it sounds like, pretty sorry, savory bad. without thank any you. And thank you for paying attention. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> I am like the judgiest in the salad line always. That's like so I will stand behind somebody and watch. I'm like, that's not salad. That's right? just so, like fried chicken with chips. That's not salad. That's just like dried fruit. I'm, right? I'm the absolute worst. So one of the famous chop stories uh, is the founders, Tony Schur and Colin McCabe. And, and back in the days when people actually used a telephone to call in their, their order mm-hmm, for food, yes. Colin, would, Colin would take people's order. And as they were going through their make-your-own-ingredients, he'd be like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't want just, that. You don't want the craisins yeah. with the fried onions. You're like, like no. God, I have just a problem with fruit and salads. Yeah. In general. Especially I think there is a time and a place for that. Agreed. And it is not in the salad. Agreed. So it's fascinating because, in fact, if you go to Panera, mm-hmm. which I don't which know you probably that. haven't done this, really, but Panera serving a lot of salads to a lot of people in America, mm-hmm. which yeah. is certainly something that we enjoy talking about. Um, Every, they're, all of their best-selling stuff is syrupy, is, is heavily yeah. sweet. You yeah. know, like the strawberry poppy seed Ooh. dressing, something it like that. That's, that's what our palate, me. I mean, in general, like as a nation, that's our, our 100%. we're programmed for that. 100%. So yeah, we, we uh, I think Chopped has certainly tried to, you know, there's there are things that we, 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 we talk about internally. Like how do you change people's perception yeah. of what a salad could be? And totally. So, I, I, I often say one way you do that is by setting their mouth on fire, right? So we've tried to just re- <laughs> try scramble to the palate yes. completely. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like the acid. ultimate cleanse. Yeah. Just burn it on right. the ground. <laughs> All right. Well, let's okay. So let's start with chopped and you and how you're how you kind of how you came to be there, and then we'll go with how you're going to reset the nation's palate. Oh. I was actually just enjoying that backwards free form of you know intro. No, it was Working. great. Yeah. You want to keep going backwards? No, no, no. Okay. We can <laughs> we can pivot now. So. It is. I mean, I do. There, there's only about three things I could talk about, so the all roads lead there. But uh, so yeah, so Ch- I mean, Chop was created 18 years ago now by by Tony and Colin, and the uh, as the legend goes, they were students at, at University of Wisconsin Madison. Mm-hmm. There. there you go. <laughs> and uh, go. Badgers? Are we badgers? Yeah, it is badgers. Uh, and so they uh, they couldn't find a vegetable to eat. And so in order to eat a salad, they would go to the local Pizza Hut salad bar. And that was where they, that's where <laughs> that they would go for right. dinner. And, right? and you know what? Yeah. I think it's probably just as it was like <laughs> yeah. today. That's probably right. I, I think it probably is, yeah. as are a lot of places. But that, uh, you know, it was, it was after uh, numerous of those experiences that they said to themselves, huh? Maybe the world could use, you know, could use a, a a great salad. And so then they, I don't know if this part's true, but again, it is as the legend goes. Legend then they went, it. they went after graduation on like the cross country tour to you know explore different parts of the country and different flavors and ingredients and see what they could put put together and how they would want to create the best salad. And they came back home to what was their home to New York City. They opened the first restaurant in two thousand one. Where was it? 17th Street, right off Union Square. Okay. Where oh, we still are oh, today. So that's, okay. Cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now the whole worldwide headquarters uh, <laughs> uh, is uh, a couple blocks away. And, um, and yeah, that restaurant is still, is still there. Very cool. So how did they, I'm just curious, what were they studying at school and how did they land in New York? Uh, they grew up in New York, so that is how they got back here. Oh, okay, they, I, it's it unclear a- to me what I, I don't. The legend does not include anything about their studying. I mean, so I will go out on a limb and say if they went to Wisconsin, there yeah. might not have been a whole lot of studying <laughs> compared to the amount of time spent at the local Pizza Hut. Yeah, was, yeah. exactly. My best girlfriend is from Wisconsin, and so um, she's actually there right now. And for her wedding, like every time we go back there, it's just it is. It, I don't it's like going it's back shocking. in time in the in the culinary I don't even know what it is. journey. All I know is that my colon is really upset when I get back. <laughs> it's like cheese, cheese curds. curds. Yeah. That's it, man. Deep fried broccoli. No, it is it is fascinating. I mean, there Ooh. there is um we uh we we look around New York and certainly so so we could we could start with what has gone on in New York over the course of sure. that time period, right? And so um the the culinary scene at all levels, super high end to street cart has continued to um, develop and offer, I think, better and better food, which is awesome. More and uh, greater and greater range of ingredients, also super exciting. And uh, with some confluence of the the private equity world getting very interested in the restaurant business, 
you know, new fast casual concepts all over, all mm-hmm. over the place to almost a degree of comedy in, in some parts of the city where um, if it is the case where somebody does go out of business, somebody new opens within a month or so, and you have you have massive competition. And I think we all we all who live and work in this area get used to thinking that that is the situation that is taking place throughout the country, and it, it really uh, it really is not. I mean, I think there are components of it that are that are are reaching uh, into into all different cities, but a lot of the fast casual restaurant development scene has been primarily on the coasts, mm-hmm. primarily in the you know uh, urban areas, and and really primarily at a pretty high price point. Right, mm-hmm. this has not been uh, uh, sort of a f- food for the masses at this point, and um, so that's something that we think. You know, when you talk about Wisconsin and what's going there, it certainly is not to um, disparage uh, any of the places where these restaurants have not opened. Uh, we believe the customer is there, but sure. the businesses have not yet reacted to the demand in a across the country kind of way. Is there a topped in Wisconsin? There is not. Oh no, you're all East Coast. We are all East Coast. Yeah. Uh, but I would just think maybe in the hometown they might want to like plant yes. a flag. Oh uh, well, this is not in the hometown, their hometown, but in there, where, it, right. yes, where the idea. Where the idea. Right. We should, put, we, should put, we should put an actual flag. We're going to have to rewrite right this legend. I think right. we need to tweak the story a little bit. <laughs> well, you're allowed to evolve the legend. Uh, yeah, time. exactly. That's why it's <laughs> you know legend. that's why it's folklore. Um, so when I'm just curious, and this is so long ago. Yeah. Um, when they first started. Who was the main competition? And when they were trying to raise money and and build it up, were, were people just like, you're crazy. No one wants to eat salad. I mean, what was the sort of mindset then? So totally, the mindset was 100% salad is not a center of the plate item, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Salad was iceberg, uh, you know, slices of little, little uh, slices, scraped carrots, half tomato, and like... French or Russian dressing, or right? creamy I don't even Italian. remember what those things mm. are. Um, Italian vinaigrette, <laughs> right? And yes. uh, and on the money raising side, yes, it is. It is uh, for sure the case in the restaurant industry that I always say if you if you are looking to open your first restaurant, you should you should limit your target investor list to people who have the same last name that you do, because that's pretty <laughs> much who might be interested in right. investing in your restaurant. And that's that's mostly, I guess that that expands to people who have your same last name. And maybe their best friends, if that's like your dad or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was friends and family. They were able to scrape together the money. And then the tricky part about the restaurant business when you're starting and is you have to sort of simultaneously convince the people with the money to give you the money. The like some landlord, you have to convince them that you have the money and you have the team, and you have to convince the team that you've got the money and the location, mm-hmm. and you have to sort of make believe that all. And then you have to them. convince the customer and that then, what you're selling is actually yes, worth buying. Yes, and then it's like holding a party every day, hoping oh. people show up. Wow, it um, really like, is yeah. such a powerful it's, metaphor, like it's, analogy. It's <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, so their first PR stunt uh, took place inadvertently because they, 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 would lo- they would love to be here themselves telling you they had no idea what they were doing. They had no idea what they're doing. They opened on the first, re- first day and the registers went down. So Of course they did. Of course they did. Yeah. So they uh, did what any good uh, entrepreneurs did, which they just said free salad for everybody. Nice. And so, Genius. lo and behold, uh, there was a line out the door, and uh, and um, that introduced them. Free salad definitely tastes better than ten dollars salad, right? Well, it was those were the recruiting days, and I will tell you that you know we have a we have a um, a list of ten or twelve salads that are composed. If you don't feel like making your own and you want to take our, our suggestions, and back in the day. Those composed salads we we called like recruiting salads, and they all had steak in them, and they all had fried chicken in them, and they all had blue cheese dressing, and it was all about trying to convince the consumer think differently about this, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is going to be this is not the salad that you had as a side when you were at whatever restaurant the other night, and um, certainly the chopping had a component of that too, mm-hmm. right? So this was the um, this was the early 2000s, right? When the idea of like display in a restaurant was important or entertainment was mm-hmm. important. And so, Plating. so you have these crazy guys with Metzalunas, you have these salads that actually ate like full meals and they were enormous bowls of salad. So I think fortunately for them, it just kind of came out of the gate like, oh, this is different. This is diff- actually different. I mean, the Metzaluna, that was everything. That was everything I remember to my me. first I mean, yeah. chopped. You got, I was like, did they patent this? Like, yes. what? you know, I mean, it was a big deal. Like, who yeah. knew that just chopping up your salad? It's better. It's better because yeah. you can actually eat it without having like junk all over your face. Well, right? you get more surface area on the dressing. The and dressing, yes. it's a mix. It's the, the 
the flavor profile is better because yes. you're getting like you get a the perfect more bite. evenly yes. distributed. You guys should be uh, in like know, the ad campaign. We good. totally should. <laughs> What's that? You should be part of the ad campaign. You've got all the important points. Yeah. So, and it was funny because I was like trying to think about when I saw that big mess. For people who don't know, it's that giant sort of U-shaped blade with a handle on either side, and you sort of move your arms back and forth, and it chops it up really fast. So there's like it's theater. wonderful theater yeah. involved, right. and. I really thought like maybe you guys had patented that. That's funny. But should have. As it turns out, we should have. Yeah, because then because everyone else yeah, realized. Yeah, in five years, like everyone, everyone was chopping their salad. It's, it was true. just it's the norm. Right? It's the norm now, yes. And yeah. I'm sure the French are just disgusted by this. Yes. <laughs> because isn't it like they hate, you're supposed like to- Like the blade shouldn't only, it should only never touch chop one salad or something like that. I don't know. A lot of rules over there. No, it's better. Don't um, open in France. It's absolutely better. But it, 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 <laughs> I think- Tony and Colin, for sure. You know, I think the thing that happened next was there all of a sudden were there were influences in in a diff- whole bunch of different areas of food, right? You went through uh, from like Bloomberg, right back when, when when Mayor Bloomberg was starting to try to talk to us about how we had to eat better, and I think he had maybe like the salt campaign or the mm-hmm. beverage sugary beverage campaign. Mm-hmm. I can't remember I which think it one. Was but, salt and then and then right soda. And then yeah. you had Michelle Obama, right? M- Michelle Obama was uh, obviously had the garden and was trying to you know bring childhood uh, uh, nutrition to school kids and whatnot. And then even infl- you know you had Whole Foods opening up, and Whole Foods Whole Foods did sort of change everything at the sure. end of the day, right? It is they are, I think. It is interesting to see where they are today and the perception of price versus mass appeal mm-hmm. um, as, as part of this story. But they certainly opened the floodgates of people starting to understand and think differently about, you know, organic was at the top of the pyramid, but just asking questions about what you are eating mm-hmm. was 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 the rest of the pyramid. And then I think the the other thing that went on was, I mean, it's like going so far back in time, it sounds, it sounds crazy now, but like chefs on TV, yeah, yeah, right? Like all of a sudden, like ingredients and how is this prepared? And I want to know, and I want to be able to do it at home. And I care where you got, right? Those spicy peppers sure. and whatnot. And so I think that they, that, you know, the, the level of sort of passion and creativity and thoughtfulness that they were bringing to the food kind of caught up in that, in that, in that wave. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so all of a sudden salad was a thing that people, you know, wanted to eat for lunch. So who was the first like real competition right. that came in and how do you guys kind of think about that? And It's funny. I think really like the first first was, I think there was like a, in New York City, there was like a Cafe Metro. Do you remember? Yeah. Cafe? Oh, and yeah. Pax? Oh, yes. they and still Pax, exist. Right. I got yeah. and like, a nasty salad boom. from Pax once and never went back. Like Cafe boom, they had, they had Metzalunas like yep. immediately. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Right. But they and weren't like went down to the Bowery in the same it, way. They had the wraps and the pre-made sandwiches yeah. and the salty yeah. soups. Yeah, it was yeah. like a deli on steroids. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But they had the Metzalunas, so they were competing that way. And then I think, then the industry, industry really started, right? So that you had Just Salad in New York yep. and you had, what else was early? Oh, Fre- Fresh and Co. was in there sort of pretty early, I think. I which remember them have, from like... They still later uh, to Yeah, me, later. That was like 2010-11. Yeah. It's hard to totally remember. And then... And then, then Premium salad, right? right? Then certainly sweet green started in 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 uh, in DC, and then in in New York, you you started you sort of branching out in a bunch of directions. Shake Shack changed the game just from an a thinking about chain food, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it was obviously we're in hamburgers now, but it was they were trying to be it was still trying to make hamburgers better and thinking about what fast casual food meant. Um, and then you kind of had everybody, right? Right, right? and um, and I think that we, we certainly don't think about the world as competing with just the salad players, right? Like we're competing in in different markets. We're competing for people in different ways. In New York, we are absolutely competing for, you know, how many lunches we can get a mm-hmm. week out of somebody who's working in Midtown. And then and then uh, really over the course of the past six or seven years, where more of our focus has been has been in the suburban markets, mm-hmm. right? Now we're competing with 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 lunch with really three core parts of the day, the lunch and the afternoon snack mm-hmm. and and dinner. And uh, the range of competitors there, it's it's definitely not direct salad, right. but it is other people who are trying to give a lot of bowls, a lot of chicken. Yeah, chipotles. Right? And like, yeah. There's a, there's, there, there are a lot of people playing like that. So when you think about in those markets, and I know Starbucks sort of thinks about it similarly. I don't know how successful they are, but you know, this is the hours of operation. It's just so limited, right? Mm-hmm. This is however early you open until mm-hmm. what, six o'clock? Mm-hmm. Would you ever, I mean, is there any plan, is it ever worth it to just extend those hours into the evening, try and offer some, I mean, then you're like a full service restaurant, but maybe offer some 
I know Starbucks are offered like wine and beer right. yep. in certain locations. They had like a light menu at in the evening and just trying to like extend that customer through the through the night. Does that is that just so far from how you no, guys think about not not at all. In fact, and I'll 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 segue into right like the way we think about the business in really all of the markets that we have moved to beyond New York City is very, very different, right? Um, and what are those markets, just for an example? So it is, uh, uh, first it was suburban New York, mm-hmm. right? So so ranging out into the suburbs and really trying to serve a family customer as opposed to an office-based customer. Mm-hmm. And then from a market perspective, D.C. and the D.C. suburbs, Virginia and Maryland, and then most recently, North Carolina, really, we're, we're in Charlotte, we're in Raleigh, we're in Wilmington, okay. Greensboro. We're, we're really spread throughout North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, and Atlanta, and all, you know, but in all of those markets, as opposed to starting in downtown office kind of places, we've, we've started in suburban family type markets, mm-hmm. which is really and where is we're trying to go. Because the downtown like business districts are just not as dense or is it more of a play for the type of customer that you want to reach it's and, the, it's and have the family? Okay. It's the latter. I mean, so I think both from a business perspective and philosophically, what we think is super interesting, right? Having had some level of success of introducing a, a not just a product, but a way of eating to, uh, to, con- to consumers is how do we, you know, how do we spread that in the most meaningful way to the to the to the broadest uh, set of marketplaces, mm-hmm. right? And so, if you rewind on some of the things that we were just talking about, what is super important to Chop is, right? The, the mission is people have to they need to eat better and they need to eat more vegetables, right? And, in in very uh, simple fashion. And we for sure are not judgy, and we want to make that fun and easy and taste uh, great. I said I, I often say like you, you can eat a bowl of vegetables at Chopped if 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 at the end of the day you want to put lemon tahini dressing on that right or you want to put our smoky bacon Russian dressing on that right like you're still eating bowls like you're yeah. in better you're in good yeah, shape yeah. right like we're we're moving in the right direction and so we want to introduce that eating in a, in a lot of different places and we also believe from a business perspective what is more interesting is the thousands and thousands of restaurants that you can put in in suburban communities throughout the country. Mm-hmm as opposed to focusing on just really um, sort of urban, coastal, uh, downtown-y type environments, which is probably easier coming out of the gate. Like, it's probably easier to go after that customer, but we think that there's just, we think it's we think it's a bigger opportunity and a more interesting opportunity going after what we're going after. So, sure, yeah. Yeah, so what So what are the main hurdles, right? Besides right. the sort of pallets of the, uh, you know, the Midwest and yeah. the South and the other... The palettes are pretty well developed everywhere at this point. It's interesting, right? Like, because again, like TV was the great medium. So everybody got to learn about everything all of a sudden. You didn't have to go to the newest, fanciest restaurant in in New York City to learn about uh, a particular ingredient. Everybody, everybody kind of knows everything. And then, and then again, Whole Foods was unbelievable because they brought so many new ingredients and so much more thoughtfulness about eating to a lot of places. But now, and to give you, to come to the answer to your question, it's fascinating watching Whole Foods sort of falter now mm. because it's like the whole paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's at the end of the day, it's price. And so we were working in a country where for a whole other set of reasons, which I'm probably not the best person to diagnose what they are, people's perception around food and how much they want to pay for food and what a meal should cost is just, is challenged relative to the quality of, of ingredients that, that um, some of these, some of uh, we and our, our peers are trying to serve. So as you're moving into the into uh, a market where people's anchor for what they've been paying for a quick serve meal is like around Chick Fil A or Panera, so mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. five or seven dollars. Yeah, it is. There's an educational process, and there's there's certainly um, work to be done to help them understand if you want them to pay more, right? Can only be so much more, and and helping make sure they understand what you know what the value and why they why why it's worth paying more. Yeah. Which then brings us to that whole, you know, paradox and challenge around food deserts, for example, or communities that are, you know, just not getting the access, whether it's just based on cost alone or literally just geographic location, that, you know, it, it does cost more to eat better and mm-hmm. it shouldn't. And how do we how do we actually get through this hurdle where it's, sh- I mean, 
I understand that it's always going to be easier to pay like a dollar for a slice of pizza Mm -hmm. than to buy groceries for $2, but those might last you five Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a consciousness and and a comprehension that I think is one hurdle, but then it's also, I mean, to your point, like when you're thinking about your expansion plans and how to address that, like, how are we all, how are we going to address this issue as, as a community of entrepreneurs and businesses who can do something about it and, and try to, try to, change this paradigm? So uh, change is, uh, is always little by little and then all of a sudden, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example of, of why, why it's challenging, right? The, the distribution system that has been set up for restaurants in this country is, was set up to service fast food restaurants, right? And so the products that the big distributors carry, the way that the, they, they, they create their own profitability is based on like a set number of SKUs that is going to go to an individual restaurant, how often those deliveries can go to that restaurant, and therefore what the delivery and, and, and how many unique ingredients somebody's carrying, right? So in the fast food landscape, at the end of the day, a lot of the things are pretty consistent. There's not that many SKUs going through and, nothing, and, and there are fewer perishable products, right? So the distributors are able to Let's use an example. This might not be the correct math, but they can deliver once a week, right? So they can bring 250 cases once a week, mm-hmm. and that's going to be much less expensive for them than bringing 50 cases five days a week, right? Now, we're selling lettuce. We need the lettuce every day, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just the core price of the product, but it's that the distribution system is, is, is sort of is disadvantaged mm-hmm. against the way that, that we want to serve our product. So, so how do we get through it? Like, Chop starts figuring things out. We figure out how to break into these markets and become profitable in places where it would have been difficult previously. And there's enough demand for what we're doing that, fortunately, like you know, the, the, the restaurants are popular and, and we have, you know, we have a good revenue base. But we we can work. Th- we can start to work through some of these structural challenges. Then, in an entrepreneurial way, someone comes in and is like, "Oh wait, why? You know, why are the big old companies doing it that way? I can figure out a way." To, to serve as this new model of restaurant. And then I think little by little, you get the ball, you get the ball rolling mm-hmm. yeah. in a way that helps everybody be successful. Yeah, I understand the perishability is like just, it's a... Yeah, that's a tricky total, one. It's total, it's a challenge. <laughs> yes. I mean, having sold raw juice, I mean, I get it. Right. Three-day shelf life in the beginning before it was right? HPP'd. So that's an issue. But God, you know, it's... It's just so crazy to me to think about how much power is at the top of, you know, whoever's making the decisions the or whatever food team chain is making yeah. the decisions for like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. For example, if they just say, you know what, we're no longer going to source this um, type of chicken. We're going to go for free range, no hormones, no antibiotics, no anything. Game changer. They would change the entire agricultural right. Right. landscape of America. And that to me, and then the the sort of trickle down mm-hmm. from that, just having to do with like, I mean, it's so powerful. And to think that that is a, a right. key that someone can turn, but they're not doing so, it to me is just... The fun thing for me is like, we're, we're in the early innings still. Yeah. Right? I mean, we literally, you know, when Tony and Kyle started this, that was actually before the game had even started. That's right. right? Yeah. It was, it was, bef- it was, it was, it's, it's so early. And some of the things we could do now, like those, those, um, those recruiter salads are gone, right? Mm-hmm. Like the iceberg lettuce is gone, yeah. right? Like we've, like we've, in, in our own lifetimes, we've, we've moved mountains in terms of the product that we can sell to people and, um, you know, and, and what their level of knowledge and receptivity is. So it's awesome. And, and, and as we explore some of these other markets, again, like the knowledge is there also because mm-hmm. there was, there's already, there's already TVs at Whole Foods. So they, right. So the message is out. So I think that, um, I think we're getting there, you know, and what has been fun for, like, we've done a lot of work to, to sort of evolve the model so that, that we can continue to expand in a lot of these places. So, yeah. So we talked a little bit about just geographical hurdles and having to do with perishability and the distribution chain, but then there's the obvious, uh, you know, hurdle of price point. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit offline and I think this is, I don't understand why this hasn't happened yet, <laughs> but why, why isn't someone accepting food stamps at these sort of, you know, at like, what if you went into Pret or Chopped or wherever and got this slightly more premium service and, and product and you could do it all with your 
government subsidized. I mean, why right. isn't that a, why isn't that part of the model for anyone? Right? How is that not already happening in a huge way? I, I mean, I think that it is. Uh, so, if I had to guess, I think that people don't think about the market in their marketplace, the marketplace that way, right? And they don't. And if you think about all of the elements of your strategy being in concert with each other, most of what we've seen in this elevated sort of food, food, uh, you know, quick, quick, casual uh, world has been targeted at putting restaurants right in the middle of the hedge fund and legal community in New York City or whatnot, using that mm-hmm. as as an example. So I don't know. I don't. I don't think the priority has been focused on how do we how do we serve the broadest range of of consumer. Right. right. And so I think that's. So I love the idea of food stamps and restaurant. Like I think. We are we are big believers. We could talk about a whole bunch of different stuff that yeah. I, uh, you know, like like we're b- big believers in minimum wage getting raised, right? Because yeah. that is that is absolutely the core of our employment mm-hmm. uh, workforce, and we have we are fortunate enough. We have people who we have we have a number of people who have been employed at Chop for eighteen years from the first really? restaurant. Yeah, That's yeah. incredible. That's so great. I mean, it's it is. That's there, there's there is uh, the degree to which some of our the, the, I think. I think some of the a couple of our dressings, the recipes actually came from hourly employees, right? Sure. Like they're they are woven into the fabric of what yeah. we've and done for invested. a long period. I mean, it's beyond anything yeah. we could have hoped for. But that this is absolutely an hourly uh, pay community. So we are, you know, we think a lot about the impact on on our own team. But we have not gotten to food stamps yet. But I think it is a natural evolution to how we think about our growth, right? We want everyone to be able to eat this food. And so mm-hmm. Uh, I think from a, you know, we also have, and certainly part of my role on the team is to bring a practical business component to what we're doing. Right. And uh, I think if there's uh, you, people uh, on the team would certainly make fun of me about this if they were here, but like, I, I definitely have like an take incremental steps approach to how we're doing things. Sure. So like game plan number one for serving a broader you know range of people wasn't like, okay, now we're gonna take food stamps. Mm-hmm. But I see it as certainly part of the continuum that we're- yeah. That we're working on. Yeah, I understand. You know, it's not, you don't out of the gate come out like, you know, I'm going to save the world with salad. Um, But (laughs) it's just, you know, but it is also interesting to think about the fact that even here in New York, um, there are food deserts. You know, there are food deserts in Brooklyn. There are people who travel three times as far uh, than, you know, the higher income neighbor to get Less you know, quality ingredients. That's so not the, even as fresh. Yeah, um, totally. The, but the, I mean, the, the thing I would add, there's food deserts. I, I think. I think when people use the term food deserts right now, they 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 in their mind, people immediately go to the sort of some of the lowest income neighborhoods, right? There are food deserts all over the place. All over the like, place. You could go to Westchester County, and there are food deserts in, America, in the non-super yes. rich, like like next to Greenwich. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Right? It's so, shocking. So, or yeah. if you, right, or you, or you go, you know, we're we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, right? We're in we have we're in some neighborhoods where there's a whole bunch of stuff, and then some neighborhoods right mm-hmm. nearby, yeah. which 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 are less. So I, I think it's it is um it from the restaurant standpoint, which is different from the grocery standpoint, but from the restaurant standpoint, it's can you create and can you create uh, an economic model that is profitable that allows for your growth right. while not relying on raising prices to solve every uh, business hurdle. Right. And on that note, what's also interesting is that, you know, it's like, okay, that's not step one. It's in the long-term plan, but right. there are so many companies now that have in their in their model from day one some kind of like philanthropic effort mm-hmm. where right. they are building in a one for one, some kind of charity component. Even and if that it's on is, like one skew versus right. like the so, overall. And it's usually like for every shoe sold, we're gonna whatever for whatever other country. But it's just like yeah. why doesn't someone it seems to me that there if there's room for that, then there should be room day one for this other type of, you know, food stamp approach. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think um, there are. I want are, you to solve it right now. I know. I'm no, no pressure, but. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do this afternoon. But, um, <laughs> I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, I'll, I'll say this, though. I think what is important for us, and if I, I'll talk a little about you know some stuff that CHOP has done in the charitable arena, but like we, I, we, we try to avoid anything that is stunt like, right? And I think that there is there is meaningful change, and I, I don't use this to disparage anybody who's done any of those good things at all. But like when we think about where we want to get involved and what things we want to do, we want to make sure that it's something where we can again have, you know, we are we are a company that takes a long long term view of things. Our our senior management team is 
on average, about 12 years at this point at CHOP, right, which is pretty unusual in our industry. We, we try to think about places where we have, can have sort of a meaningful effect over a long period of time. We've worked with an organization in New York for about 10 years now called Wellness in the Schools, right? Wellness in the Schools. When we met the founder, when I met the founder, they, had, they, were, in, they were in like three New York City schools and we had like two restaurants. And um, I don't know, I think we donated like $500 that year, something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and, um, but I had a stump speech, right? Which I was going around giving. It was like, look, we we're trying to create a better form, you know, type of eating. And we want to spread this to as many people as possible. And we want to be able to, you know, create a salad and vegetable. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, the woman who, who started wellness in school, she, she had a stump speech. And it was, I always tell her, it was the same stump speech, right? right? Only she was, she was applying this idea of like, pe- we need to spread education and access mm-hmm. to as many people as possible. And she was starting uh, from the community of New York City public school system, right. which for sure is a food desert. So if you want somebody who just jumped into the deep end of the pool, yeah. right? That was like, we're going to go have organic scratch cooked meals yeah. in New York City. But like, you went to crazy, right? Like salad is center of the plate was sort of crazy, yeah. right? This was, this was people, I mean, she had doors shutting on her all over the place. But we've had now a you know ten eleven year relationship. Um, I'm on the I'm a, uh, I'm on the board of, of wellness in the schools. Our managers, as part of their training, do days of uh, you know volunteer service as part of their MIT program. Tony and Colin speak at uh, you know wellness in the schools has cafe days, right? And so, um, uh, long story short, my point is, what is interesting to us is where can you really weave into the fabric of something mm-hmm. over a long period of time and have an extended impact. And so when I think about, I'll tie this back to food stamps somehow, right? But um, <laughs> when I think about food stamps, it's like, all right, how do you put yourself in place for that to be meaningful, right? Because if I open a restaurant where no one's on food stamps and then I take food stamps, then I really haven't accomplished anything, right? But if I, if I, can, if I can figure out a business model that allows me to enter more and more communities mm-hmm. and announce some of these communities, food stamps really is a significant component of how people are, are feeding themselves and, and right and and actually my business model works at the price point right that 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 community wants to pay now I think I've I th- now I think we're getting somewhere well is there a model that allows you to create like the old navy to your banana republic that's a good question I have to bring that one back that's a good <laughs> yeah <laughs> um that's a great that's a great that's a great what about well, um, just like a it could just be like a you know salad vending machine yeah right or that has, you know, maybe uh, you don't have like the super premium ingredients, agreed ingredients. Right. Well, you want to talk about you want to talk about delivery and how right and how that's um, sort of changed everything for everybody. I think yeah. that um, you know w- one of the things that certainly allows you to expand beyond your footprint is we're in New York. We're probably forty percent delivery in in the suburban markets. 30, really, forty percent. Wow. Pick, uh, do you think that's, that's um, just across the board? That's the average for fast casual. Um, I think it is, uh, I think it's probably pretty close. I think we're a little bit high. We've had, um, we've been invested in sort of the digital assets arena, right? We had an app and now we have uh, sort of a third generation sort of website mm-hmm. and online ordering. And, um, and we've, uh, certainly tried to be thoughtful about what other, you know, third party vendors we, we, we work with. So, um, it's a, it's, it's, it's a field we've been playing in for, for a pretty long time, but I think, I think everybody's probably right up around those numbers. So yeah. when you say delivery, does that include orders placed remotely that people come and pick yes, up? Yes, sorry. Oh, okay. Pick up and pick delivery. Pick up and okay. delivery. Okay, that I get because yes. you're not pick necessarily out. creating like a sit-down establishment Correct. environment. Okay, pick that up and delivery. Sense. I mean, and it's, we, you know, we always say what was fast and what was fast enough in 2001 is just not fast yeah, enough anymore. That's right. It's just a different, it's a whole different game. That's right. Um, but it's in all markets. It's not just in New York. I mean, we're, yeah. we're New Providence, New Jersey. We're like 35% pick up. Right. You know, well, I, because it's, I mean, to be able to know what time your stuff is going to be ready and then just like right. roll up and grab it or have it. You were serving a suburban consumer. You're serving a family consumer that mm-hmm. is, has the exact same, probably a higher uh, or a lower threshold for like a time bump, right? Sure. Like in New York, you probably walk downstairs from your from your office building like 20 seconds away to see if there's a big line at chopped and you want to wait on the line or not or but in the suburbs, you probably actually drove 15 minutes over the restaurants. Right. <laughs> so like you're hazed if, if, if it's not, right. you know, if there's a long line when you get there. So I was just thinking about, I know we already touched on it a little bit, but just thinking about the competition and how you stay sort of relevant in this fast casual uh, jungle, at least in New York. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's really intense. Yeah. Uh, just as a consumer, I feel overwhelmed sometimes 
standing at like Flatiron, just looking yeah. around. There are yes. literally like 30 different options. It's awesome, right? And it's crazy. None of them are really competing on, you know, obviously there are a few different ways, but the organic angle doesn't really seem to be like bubbling to the surface at this point in terms of how people are getting an edge. Totally agree. And why is that? I think that that was the first uh, criteria, that was the first quality that was introduced to the consumer to think mm-hmm. differently about their food. And it made people think, oh, that's interesting. I should start thinking about where this food came from. Right. And then soon, it, so that was, that kind of got into everyone's consciousness and they could start to, but, the, but that was sort of like the first question, not the last question. Then, like, local became the next thing that was sort of a cost of entry. I got, okay, now I got to think about what's in this food. I got to think about where this food's coming from. Right. And then, at the same time, you also have all the different proliferations of diets, right? And uh, different ways that people want to eat. And so what I think is critical to the, the balance that I think is critical to the customer now is transparency, right? I'm going to let you know what we've got. You have choice and you have transparency. We know where, what the food is. We know what's in it. We know where it came from, right? It's all under the vegetable arena. And now I am an educated consumer and I'm going to think about what are the different qualities that I want to choose for and what diet am I selecting for? How, you know, what, what foods do I want to eat and what, what foods do I want to avoid? And what, what Chopped tries to do to compete in that world is make all of that information massively available to people so they can choose well. And then the, the secret sauce, no pun intended, right, is the <laughs> dressings. And we try to bring a level of, of flavor and satisfaction and in the combinations in that eating. So it's like, oh my God, this tastes really good also. Yeah. Just, it's got to taste good. Of course. <laughs> Well, and all I baby think, steps. I mean, again, yeah, it's baby steps because yeah. part of it is going back to what you said before. Like, even if you're not eating the highest quality, best possible, organic, everything across the board, if you're trying to reach someone who is currently eating at chicken at Chick Fil A and mm-hmm. they're eating now a bowl of vegetables, even with ranch dressing, it's still a step mm-hmm. up. So mm-hmm. it also depends on kind of what what threshold you're really aiming to cross in in the biggest way. I think, I think it is it is it's constant progress. Another big one for us is also like is the no preservatives, right? So that mm-hmm. ranch dressing has mm-hmm. no preservatives, which right. is it becomes it's got no sweeteners. So which is so, a big deal when it comes to ranch dressing. Actually, people yeah. don't even know yeah, it's pure sugar. Like, let's just do an episode totally. on dressing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I get a lot about dressings. It's crazy. A lot of thoughts yeah. on. What's your favorite dressing? My so, favorite is yeah. the one that I make at home. Yeah, it's just I don't ever We're buy dressing. dressing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Good. All right. I like a little apple cider vinegar, um, Bragg's liquid amino, some tahini, a um, little lemon. Nice. And then you can sort of zhuzh it up with some herbs if you want. Nice. Obviously, olive oil. We're into zhuzhing. Yeah. Always. You got to zhuzh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if I do go to get a pre, like a dressing from a, yeah. a chopped or the like, I'm never, it's never just that dressing. I have to mix you it hack. add a little lemon. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. A little pepper. You guys are far I'm sitting. your worst nightmare. <laughs> Seriously. You <laughs> are a throughput buster. First screen. Who down is the woman slowing down the line? You're killing us. <laughs> no, exactly. I, would, I would disagree. I don't think that it's about <laughs> slowing down the line. I think it's like, I know what I want. Yes. I, that we may chop for you. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm pretty decisive. I just when want it, it the way I want it. When I go right? to the salad line. Plus, yeah. somebody's watching you going, huh? Exactly. That's interesting. I, I never thought that of that. I am creating an inspiration eyes. rather yeah. than a buttermilk fried chicken Ex- I mean, exactly. disaster. Sometimes I turn to the person next to me and I'm just like, watch this. Just watch what I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually me, though. <laughs> and you're like, it's funny. One of, one of our, we do, the, we do destination specials, right? So every 60 days, we'll do new specials. And we will spend an, in, an inordinate amount of time tasting and creating these, right? We have a very, we have our biggest team is our food and beverage team. And it has led for sure. Tony and Colin are sort of very, very active on it, right? And the whole, the whole storyline of how we create and test all these different ingredients. We have a couple of chefs working with us. And so all this time and energy goes into these three perfect combinations. And then I, I'll go to the restaurant on day one that they're out with Tony and Colin, who mostly helped create them. And they'll, ha- they'll hack the salad on the first time. <laughs> like yeah. They can't even order it once the way it's, Amazing. it's made. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's lightning in a bottle. Listen, yeah. It tastes different when you're in the actual place, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. God, who knew I, we could talk so much about, about salad. salad. <laughs> we both like salad. <laughs> I love slad. Um, okay, well, here's a crazy question. Yeah. I imagine that I know at least part of the answer. If we're going to talk about your fantasy dinner party, like, is there any chance that there is not salad on the menu? There is salad. Okay. <laughs> All right. We already talked about your breakfast. That's true. So, so we can't talk about your go-to like yeah. fancy Mexican salad. You have yeah. to put like your ultimate fantasy dinner salad. 
So um, we want and then whoever is sharing it with you. Yeah. Oh, uh, you want food? What are you eating? Food and people. Oh, no, I want. What are you eating? What are you drinking? Okay. Who's there with you? And where are you? Set the table. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the poet in the group, but I will do my Start best. With the I will. Fruit. I will. Right. So I, I will say this. I will tie in my one of my one of my favorite hobbies, which is I do love to fish. Right, and so fresh fish is for sure where, where, where I fishing? would start. Um, I go fishing all over the place, mm-hmm. but I would say mostly I do it uh, in the New York area. Okay. I fish out of I actually fish fish out of Jamaica in Jamaica Bay. My husband does that. Sheep's Head Bay. Is that right? Yeah, he goes out like on Friday nights. Oh, really? Yeah, you get like a I mean, that's right. Be flounder. <laughs> uh, so striped bass. So striped bass yeah. fluke, which is a summer flounder. The flounder. I mean, we don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but the flounders, flounders tough. The regulations around that have been, uh, uh, flounder stocks are down. I'll just say that. Okay. But um, uh, so for sure, it would. I, I, I fish I fish around here. I fish East End of Long Island. And then I fished on like fishing trips around places, which have been super fun. And so that would definitely be the the, the centerpiece of where, mm-hmm. where the meal would start. And I would, I would probably go long on uh, the seafood thing because I like to do other uh, things like digging clams, yes, right? Yeah. And catching crabs and stuff. Uh, uh, I could spend a whole day just trying to catch things in the water. That's mostly, <laughs> that would be the six-year-old in me. And I would probably do it with my son. So like that would give me like the family piece. Son? He is, uh, he, my son is 11 years old. Oh, okay. So, which is like a perfect catching stuff. Yeah, he's like good kind company of, at this. Yeah. Yeah. Right, you can and he can something. also do the work. Something alive that's moving that he needs to run after is totally. pretty. You're in good shape. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it would it would start it would start there, and then it would have a whole lot of uh, vegetable and salad around it, right? And so there would be a sort of core core seafood meal. And What's the dressing? It would be I you, I would you'd have to go light and vinaigrette. Yeah. Right. And I do. It's funny you said apple cider before. That's my favorite. Yeah. Fave. That's my favorite. It's the bad of the vinaigrettes. It really just is. Drink right. It straight. I'm not. It's remember balsamic when balsamic is bullshit. Can we just say that for it's the record? The salad okay. guy, balsamic should be done. It's, it's, it's so funny. Listen, but for those who are, that is their stepping stone. Okay, fine. Give them the right. balsamic. Oh, fine. Okay, but it's it's pure sugar. It, so I uh, I do not judge. I will just say apple cider okay. is what I like. Okay. You you Let guys, it's your judge. show. You guys, you can you could call <laughs> I, out balsamic. I'm balsamic I, shame. I have to be it's on like, not the third me, show but... before I can criticize. But I'm not balsamic shaming angry. Okay. Um, and so, and then I think for me, like the, uh, uh, I would be somewhere outside, right? Like if you had to put me somewhere for a meal, I wouldn't gravitate towards, you know, super fancy restaurant or indoors. I would not gravitate towards. No, you're going to be like. I would be like. 72. And, and Bountiful. Yeah. So yes, we're on somebody's. Under a pergola. Right? So you're pergola. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are good at this. It's good. I should remember <laughs> some trying, of these words. Trying to zhuzh it up for you. <laughs> you are a zhuzher. Um and uh, uh, so that could be that could be very far away, right? You could choose your Mediterranean island to put me on, or it could be nearby, right? Sure. But for but but I think I would stay with the water theme, and I'd be near the water. And uh, who would be? Is this like a like in, throughout the history of yes, time? Who anybody would be? alive Dead or alive? That's that's wow. Uh, so I, I'll give you. Uh, uh, I would say, I often say we are in both. We are both in the food business, and we are in the business of food. And so on the business side, I think really one of the great people who I would like to one of the, one of the great businessmen that I would be super interested to spend a meal with would be uh, uh, would be Howard Schultz from Starbucks, um, who I think I've been in the I've been in the business of food for thirty years and. <laughs> 90% of the business plans that I've ever looked at somewhere on has a page that says, we're the Starbucks of this. Right. <laughs> right? right. Like, I mean, and every time I read that, I'm always like, no, you're not. <laughs> right? like, you're hey, guess who ate fish with Howard Schultz? Who? No. These two. <laughs> These, These two. two clowns. No way. We way. did. Uh, and the fish? Not and just the fish. with Howard Schultz? I think by the water. Yeah, we ate albino salmon. Yeah, okay, why don't you just steal all of my drinks? Sorry. What else are you going to do? Are you going to take food stamps at a salad I mean, restaurant in North God. Carolina? It's yeah, unbelievable. But that was really? but we've never been actually able to say like we lived your fantasy <laughs> dinner party before. Oh my god! Because okay, so by the way, that was moment. by the that was my one that you weren't supposed to already have guessed. You're gonna, you're well, gonna crush me. You're gonna crush me invited. on the second okay, half of my answer. Okay. You're showing me a picture now. <laughs> no, I'm just capturing this moment. Oh, okay. It's okay. So, ne- so, so we got in any case, Howie. So yeah, and then I mean, look, we're we are we are in the business of of creativity around food from all around the world. So you would have I would have to include Mr. Bourdain, right? And mm-hmm. you would have to have R.I.P. R.I.P. And 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 you know, I think 
for sure, uh, Tony and Colin, since the beginning, would say that the, the inspiration around what we do is we try to go and find different foods around the world and compose them in a way that are approachable to people. And he was obviously the greatest master of that of all time. And, and, and also, you know, when, when, you, when you think about what he did, like it, it, it could be a fine dining restaurant a street cart or like somebody's grandmother's yeah. kitchen, right? And it, yeah. like the, the, there would be something awesome in it no matter where it came from. And I think that that range, and if you think about some of the stuff we talked about today, right? Like that, that, that ability to, to bring food to, from, from different places into different groups is something that we aspire to. And, and then I would, uh, if I actually were going to have a dinner with uh, Anthony Bourdain and I didn't invite Tony and Colm to come to the dinner, then that would be like not very partnering. Right. Me. I would, totally. I would, I wouldn't be able to live that down. So, uh, and for me, uh, uh, without getting too personal, like those guys have been a super important, uh, you know, part of my life for the past 18 years. Like we've come together in this pretty cool partnership. Oh, so well, that says a lot about you. The fact that you've had this sort of retention and these, uh, long-term relationships. Yeah. It certainly was made of fun and I would I would be uh I'd be happy to be a listener at that dinner as opposed to <laughs> yeah. a talker. Like, <laughs> well, Bourdain is just such a great conversationalist. Yeah. I mean, he is probably the ultimate dining companion. Yes. I mean, where you yeah. Yeah. right? That's a little bit of a layup answer, but it is it's it's no. reasonably linked. It brings into, a lot of it checks into, a lot of boxes in, in, into what we do. So I think that's did I, did I by the way, did you have dinner with him? Right? We, uh, no, no, you didn't, no, we did you didn't not. do that. No. Okay. Have you been fishing with my son? That I, <laughs> not that I know of, but okay. I will double check. We went clam digging together. Uh, yeah. That's great. Um, well, this has been really lovely to hear from you on all of this, and we certainly support all of your efforts to. Uh, Thank you. To yeah. Change to to make these little small systemic changes one step at a time. Yeah. Um, Super fun. You know, let's talk about food stamps. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Bye. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at hgwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.